0: Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh.
1: Welcome. Can we evolve consciousness? Can we align ourselves with nature? Can we redesign our civilization? These questions and more are explored in the new documentary film, 2012, Time for Change, put on by Mangusta Productions. This is slated for theatrical release in Los Angeles at the Lamy Sunset Five, which was had taken place October 8th, and it is uh, also releasing in New York City and several other places. And my guest today is Daniel Pinchbeck. He is the author, the best-selling author of... 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl by Tartar Penguin, and Breaking Open the Head, a Psychedelic Journey into the Heart of Contemporary Shamanism. He's the co-founder of Evolver LLC, which publishes Reality Sandwich, the leading web magazine for transformative culture, and Evolver.net, the network that supports the Evolver social movement. His feature articles have appeared in the New York Times Magazine, Rolling Stone, Wired, The Village Voice, Art Forum, Esquire, and many other publications. His column, Profit Motive, appears in Conscious Choice, and Common Ground Magazine, and he's also the co-producer of the animated video series Post-Modern Times, now collected in Beyond 2012, which is a new DVD published. His new book, Notes from the End of Time, will also be published by next fall. I'd like to welcome Daniel Pinchbeck to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome, Daniel.
2: Thanks.
1: It's great to have you here. You uh, really speak about some major issues that are going on right now. There's such negative conversation about 2012 and what it means, and in a sense that conversation is valid, but in a sense that conversation is perhaps the wrong question that we're asking right now.
2: Um, Yeah, well, I mean, I've obviously been looking at this for a long time. I wrote a book, 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl. It was kind of a five-year undertaking where I looked at all these different, uh, you know, kind of theories and research into the Mayan calendar, and what the uh, end of the long count, December 21st, 2000, signifies. I also correlated that with the ecological crisis, with the you know potential for a financial collapse, um, and uh, then I really looked the whole situation as a um, kind of um, threshold uh, of uh, kind of the end of, of one form of human consciousness and potentially the opening to uh, to, to another one. Uh, and the film kind of follows on. Um, those ideas, that the film is is different than my book, and that it's much more kind of solution-based, much more much more practical. Uh, and we look at ways that you know once you've achieved kind of uh, this this other level of awareness or this more kind of global or almost cosmic understanding of what's happening, how that can then be applied through uh, systems like permaculture, through the design science approach of uh, Buckminster Fuller uh through uh, new approaches to uh changing the financial system uh and and so on. Uh but then a big part of the film was also looking at ways that we as individuals can kind of uh transform our, our consciousness so that we get a, a sort of more encompassing uh three hundred and sixty degree view of what's going on and, and for that we looked at uh shamanism, we, we talked with Sting about his work with ayahuasca and the Amazon we talked with David Lynch about uh, transcendental meditation. Uh, we talked to different yoga teachers about uh, yoga and meditation and so on. So, um, yeah, I know I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with the film, and I hope people will check it out. The website is 2012timeforchange.com. Unfortunately, our website got hacked last week. It's uh, kind of interesting. We're working with the uh, producer of What the Bleep Do We Know and Fuel, and apparently their websites were also hacked for the week that their film uh, came out. Uh, but the film, the the website will either be up or it'll redirect to a Facebook page where people can find out all the screening information.
1: And I'd like to go a little deeper into some of what you talked about so that people really get an idea about this. Unfortunately, the media and a lot of other information that has gotten out uh, has allowed people somewhat to get very frightened about what 2012 means. And within the film, you do discuss that perhaps that that is the wrong question. It's not what 2012 is, but what type of change can we bring about at this time? And like you said, the film goes into a lot of those answers, but let's first get To where all of this came from, I know that your first uh, major book was about you exploring shamanism in the different types of ways, and that was called "Breaking Open the Head: A Psychedelic Journey into the Heart of Contemporary Shamanism." And it really was probably the birthplace for all of this rest, the rest of this to unfold. So, what part of that whole journey really led in this direction?
2: Uh, Yeah, well, that's a that's a big question. I mean, uh, "Breaking Open the Head." Uh, was kind of the outgrowth of that book was a big sort of existential crisis, spiritual emergency I had in my late twenties. had been working as a journalist, writing for the New York Times Magazine, and Esquire, and Wired, and all these other places. Uh, I had kind of um, grown up in the scientific materialist culture. I started writing about ecological subjects, and I found that there was a kind of uh, you know, kind of a cynical attitude, kind of negative disregard in a a lot of the media for exploring the kind of deeper causes of of different problems and so on. And that led me just to think about the whole situation we were in, and I began to realize that the fact that, you know, the scientific materialist worldview is ultimately kind of a nihilistic one, and that, you know, know, the belief is that consciousness is only brain-based. So after this life ends, there's no continuity of spirit or soul, so, like, you might as well just get what you can right now, even if it means, you know, kind of using up all the resources and everything, because there's really nothing else to, to come. And so when I began to fathom that, I, I began to wonder, you know, although I'd grown up believing in, in scientific materialism, you know, how could I test the limits of that belief system? At that point, I remembered my psychedelic experiences from college as kind of like the one major sort of ontological challenge to... to, to um, the belief system of scientific materialism and, and the visions that came up and the ideas that came up. So, I decided to make that a more systematic uh, inquiry as a journalist. And I ended up getting assignments to go to the Amazon and to go to West Africa, to work with ayahuasca and Iboga in Africa. And um, I had um, a, a large number of experiences that are, that are chronicled in my books that over time shifted me from the scientific materialist worldview to recognizing that there were these other psychic dimensions of being, that paranormal capacities were legitimate, that a phenomena like telepathy and telekinesis and, uh, you know, kind of seeing into the past and the future, were also available to shamans and other people
1: now daniel so, a lot of people do uh, a lot of people do sometimes go towards those types of experiences to engage in in that type of phenomenon but those phenomena are also possible without those engagements but that's how you personally was able to tap into it correct right, it,
2: it, it, exactly i mean you know sometimes i'm tagged as like an advocate of psychedelics you know whatever and i really don't think that's exactly the case i mean I think there are lots of avenues that people can... Some people just have a natural, you know, capacity. Some people can attain it through lucid dreaming or yoga or, you know, meditation or so on. You know, personally, I found that the, uh, you know, the exploration of shamanism with, with the visionary plants that are sacred to these indigenous cultures, you know, was the avenue that opened it all up for me. But I certainly wouldn't say that that's the avenue for everybody. You know, what I basically argue in my work, though, is that you know, we, we are due for a uh, major reconsideration, you know, of, of, of these uh, plants and, and the compounds they produce. Um, they were kind of, you know, the door was shut on them um, in the 60s. Um, and uh, it's just very interesting. because our, our society actually, we, we allow it for the use of a lot of kind of very new, newfangled, experimental, uh, psychopharmacological ke- chemicals, you know, whether it's antidepressants or anti-anxiety medicines or, you know, uh, you know, Zoloft, Prozac, all this stuff, and, and these chemicals have no history of human use. Uh, they have to be given to people, you know, daily. So it kind of like locks them into a whole complex, a sort of pharmacological complex. Whereas the, uh, the these plants like psilocybin and peyote, uh, you know, mushrooms and, and, and cactus and so on, are really um, you know available, that they, you know, non copyrighted, uh, and um, you know maybe have a deeper healing aspect where rather than having to take something you know over and over again every day, you kind of are able to go to the root of the of the problem and um, you know deal, deal with it you know on a deeper level
1: because indigenous right now, indigenous mm-hmm. cultures understand that a lot of the natural roots and and items that we have in our world already. Uh, have medicinal qualities and have certain effects for, like you said, much deeper cleansings because everything that occurs is very spiritual in nature. And by allowing us to connect with the earth, which itself is spiritual in nature, it supports a lot of that healing, whereas a lot of the pharmaceuticals that we take just kind of continue the problem.
2: Exactly, exactly. And what's interesting right now is there's a lot of uh, the gates have kind of opened on psychedelic research again, and right now there are a lot of very interesting studies going on. Uh, in um, use of psychedelics for depression, you know, for therapy, for uh, uh, you know, working with psilocybin for cluster headaches, giving uh, MDMA to uh, returning uh, veterans from the Iraq and Afghanistan wars who are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, to giving them to MDMA, which is also known as ecstasy, in therapy context, and seeing if it helps them to process their um, their trauma from, from the wars. And the, the initial results from those studies are extremely promising, and they've even been kind of uh, discussed in, you know, the Army daily newspapers and so on. So I think we may be approaching a kind of um, uh, a, 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 a you know potential for a real change in how our culture views these types of uh, substances.
1: Well, and it seems that our potential is enormous on all fronts. All of the supposed cataclysmic things that we are starting to experience really are there for us to change and evolve and grow in a new way. And that's a lot of what the movie itself discusses, is that this is all more of an opening for who we can be, who we can allow ourselves to come into, if we'll recognize that now's the time to come up with, with different types of solutions for the problems that we've created.
2: Yeah, exactly. And and you know, part of my work, but it's discussed in the film a little bit, has been to create a um you know, a kind of uh, context for people to come together to, you know, collaborate and, 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 and develop a deeper understanding. Uh so I, I started something called Evolver, it's a social network, Evolver.net, dot net and we have something we're calling the Evolver Social Movement. So we have about forty five local groups in the US and, and around the world who meet up every month in uh, events, uh, you know, monthly events that have themes around them, which could be sustainability or water issues or shamanism, where presenters from different uh, organizations and uh, so on come. And um, the idea is really to build uh, stronger local communities who are accessing important information and sharing it and then hopefully moving into, uh, you know, appropriate action together.
1: And through this organization and the actions that are moving forward, is, is funding required? Um, is is it just the collaboration and coming together and holding the space? How does this all work together?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, we we, we um, we're we, you know we're doing it as a company. We're probably going to make the uh, the Evolver social movement into a nonprofit one of these days, uh, and uh, we've approached it in different ways. And in the sense, we're using kind of an NPR model. Where we have uh, people can can become members in the Evolver social movement, and uh, you know if they understand the importance of what we're doing, they they can pay, you know, a small monthly amount, whatever they want to contribute to help us to help us, uh, you know, pay for staff and so on. So that's actually been been, been uh, pretty effective. Then we also uh, do tele seminars. Uh, we're doing um, uh, books, uh, different different titles. We also have a web magazine, uh, Reality Sandwich, uh, which people can check out, realitysandwich.com. So uh, yeah, we're trying, We're really we're seeking to develop a um, you know uh, structure that, that is financially self-supporting and, and just helps to uh, you know elevate uh, consciousness and, and, and raise awareness about all these crucial issues.
1: That's wonderful. My guest today is Daniel Pinchbeck, the author of the best-selling book 2012: The Return of Keselkacel. He is uh, featured in a film by Emmy Award-winning Ayo Amorin in the film. He is the journalist that is being followed as they go through a quest for a new paradigm that integrates the ancient wisdom of tribal cultures with modern science. This provocative, independent film allows consciousness and Agents of Evolution, showing that we can redesign post-industrial society based on ecological and spiritual principles to make a world that works for all. 2012 Time for Change presents a refreshing and optimistic alternative to apocalyptic doom and the gloom that features leading experts, scientists, and celebrities, including Sting, Ellen Page, David Lynch, Barbara Marks Hubbard, Gilberto Gill, Dean Radin, and many more. We'll be right back to speak a little more with Daniel Pinchbeck.
3: opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health
0: and wellness are you a mom or a mom-to-be if so a lot of questions and concerns may be going through your mind so much information how do we get it all straight tune in to a labor of love expectations for pregnancy and parenting with host karen angstead our program will take you from the first steps of pregnancy to the first steps of your child we will cover unique topics as well, including using the law of attraction during pregnancy, elimination communication, and more. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444,
4: Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel.
3: Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: One late night near the end of 2006, director-producer Heo Amorim had a conversation in an East Village apartment in New York City. It was a long conversation with some Serbian friends, and one of his friends started talking about 2012 and a man by the name of Daniel Pinchbeck. He spoke about a book that he had written, a book entitled 2012, Return of the Quetzalcoatl. And this gentleman continuously reinforced how this director-producer needed to pick up this book how he needed to uh, read about the different shamanistic and conscious experiences that Daniel Pinchbeck had written about in this particular book. Being somewhat of a skeptic, he kind of stayed away from that. But then the friend kind of insisted even more that he continue to look for this, and he came across one. And in that moment when he read it, there was just synchronicity that occurred. And this followed through to create now a film that has come out called 2012, A Time for Change. It's, it is very synchronistic, Daniel, as to how this uh, movie has now come about and how the two of you met, and it, it led to some smaller projects and now this larger project, which is involving a lot of major people, including Sting, Barbara Marks Hubbard, David Lynch, many others that are uh, definitely influential in their own right. How were the string of events in, in creating this film, and what do you hope that this film does for people?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you you, you kind of, you know, hit the nail on the head there. I mean, we had a, you know, a good flow with meeting each other and wanting to work together. And uh, then it's been, you know, it was definitely a massive undertaking. And I think Joao really did an amazing job in, in, you know, piloting the the ship into into the harbor. Um, And um, uh, as for your second question, what do I hope the film accomplishes?
1: What do you uh, what do you feel like you want this film to accomplish, or what do you both desire for this film to accomplish for people?
2: Well, I mean, you know, my my my, my kind of um, ultimate goal is to kind of assist in in, in a process of of transformation of consciousness and, and behavior, you know, on the part of our species that that seems to me necessary to you know bring about like less suffering, or less, less you know, the, sort of end the necessary suffering on the planet, and then also. Try to figure out how we can interrupt the uh, destruction of species, um, the, the destruction of wilderness, and so on. So that's that's really my ultimate, you know, uh, goal. And hopefully, the film helps that by making people see that you know these other options are, are, are possible.
1: Rather than a breakdown in the barbarism that a lot of people think about in regard to 2012. This movie, two thousand twelve, a time for change. It seems to really herald the birth of a regenerative planetary culture, where collaboration replaces competition. Where there's more of the exploration of the psyche and the spirit. Uh, where we really come up with new, cutting edge ways of our technology to spur on new ideas and use minimal resources rather than really exploding and, and uh, exploiting and, and trashing what we already have. Um, is, is the movie the type of thing that anyone can connect with, or does this require a certain bit of reading ahead of time? Does it help them to read your book ahead of time?
2: No, I mean, the movie is really made, it's, I, mean, I would say it's, 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 it's made as it clear and simple as, as, we, as we could do it. So I think that it's really anybody um, could could see them film and, and really connect with it, and that, that's really what we hope to bring about.
1: Now, going back to your experiences uh, as you tried some different things in your shamanistic experiences, one uh, specific experience that occurred was the transmission that you received. It was uh, receiving a lot of information from Kipokokal and bringing that forward.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in doing so, is is that... Uh, is that information something that just transmits very freely through you, or is that something that came at that time and was very profoundly meant for us to hear just right now? Wow, well,
2: um, you know, that, that's good research on your part. I mean, first of all, you know, in my book, uh, the twenty twelve Return of Ketzel uh I, um, you know, I'm pretty careful to say that you know I had this experience of this transmission, and, and, I, and I and I you know give people the, the text of the transmission. But I say that, you know, look, ultimately I don't know if it was from Quetzalcoatl or if it was just a projection of my own psyche or maybe, you know, if there are spirits, maybe some weird spirit came through. I mean, there are a lot of people who claim to be, you know, channels for this or that. And I think there's a lot of danger there. There's a lot of ego inflation. And, you know, we really don't know enough yet how stuff kind of functions in these other realities. So, you know, I, I, I definitely you know, put caution on on myself and and other people not to, like, just accept something blindly because somebody say says they had this transmission, you know. But having said that, you know, when I did have the experience, it was subjectively a very profound um, experience of this message coming through, this voice kind of speaking through me and wanting to me sort of, like, demanding that I kind of, like, collate this, this data and information and then put out this message. And part of the message, you know, it's kind of supported these ideas around 2012, you know, that this would be this time of, you know, apocalypse, you know, a word that actually means uncovering and revealing. Um, you know, so, so not necessarily all negative, you know, sometime when what has been hidden and concealed comes out.
1: That's um, really powerful I it's, because I don't think a lot of people realize that apop- apocalypse. Uh, means uncovering, and, right. and when I when I found that out in the research, I thought, wow, that's a huge statement right there. Just a huge awareness that if it came to people, they would realize that that uncovering needs to occur within themselves first.
2: Exactly, exactly. So, yes, and and you know, and then you know, so what gets revealed is really who you are. You know, and and for people who are, you know, I think you know, trying to control other people and, and repress their own. You know, emotional realities and and so on. You know, that's going to get more and more revealed. I think it's already kind of happening. And with the media and the communication technologies we have now, it really is hard to hide anything. Like every scandal comes right out. Every conspiracy, you know, is immediately revealed. Every like sexual indiscretion on the part of a politician, like, immediately gets blown out through the media. So you know, so we're not really in a position where we can't really hide, you know, ourselves as much anymore. And um, I think that that, that revealing process is truly underway. And, you know, we're also, I think, you know, we're already seeing it in the whole, you know, global financial system, you know, that these um, kind of, uh, you know, financial elite class, private bankers and corporations have kind of concocted a structure that, that supports them, uh, and, but that structure in itself is unsustainable. And based on, you know, ever-accelerating debt, so, you know, that that also may undergo a change, and, that, and that's an issue that we deal with in the film.
1: Well, it's really interesting, some of the transmissions that you have. They really resonate very much with many of the sacred traditions and what they say. Uh, specifically, there was one section that um, spoke about the, ma- about the materiality of the universe being a solid dash state illusion, and that the universe truly is a poem that writes itself. It's a song that sings itself into being, that there really is no origin and no end, and that we're really playing a role in bringing about all of this materialistic chaos. And until we change that paradigm, we'll continue to feel this angst and this churning that is coming about that uh, is, is leading up to this 2012 time of change.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've had a tendency, like, um, I, I even would question this whole sort of split between spirituality and materialism. I don't think that that split really exists for Native com- cultures, and I think it's a part of our problem that we've inherited from Christianity. We think that when we think spirit, we think, like, something up and outside of us, um, you know, whereas, and then, and then we think of matter as being separate from spirit. But, I mean, I think if you were to kind of go beyond that kind of dualism you know, you would see that, like, the, the material world, you know, is in its nature, you know, part of the, the whatever we want to talk about is spiritual world. And, and, you know, so therefore, I, I think healing that, you know, dualism that our minds have created is, is part of what we need to do.
1: In being in so many of the uh, indigenous cultures and being with very, very simple people, in the world, what are some of the key points that you noticed that their lifestyles have that we probably in the West need to integrate into our own? Yeah,
2: I don't know about really, I wouldn't necessarily call them simple people. I mean, I, mean, um, I think that, you know, they, they actually have a, a complex culture, and especially you know, if you go into the forest with somebody in, in the Amazon, you know, who's from an old tribe, you know, they, the way they know the plants and, and, and their connection to the forest and it's pretty much the same as if i was to go into like you know a bookstore or or uh, you know science academic was going to go into a library or something mean, they have like a very deep and profound awareness uh you know but just of different aspects of, of reality that we've kind of uh, forgotten about um, and having said that, I forgot the question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just if there were any points uh, in those types of cultures that we uh, would would be better off if we adopted or re- remembered in our own Western civilization now.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, you know it's one aspect of. I mean, first of all, living a little bit communally or collaboratively. You know, we we've gotten into this whole thing of the the single family as like the economic unit and, and kind of the psychological unit, uh, whereas tribes were more these, you know, communities that, that you know, they didn't even really have a uh, private space in the, in the way we're so accustomed to. Um, I mean, that's interesting to me. I mean, you know, maybe in some ways we need to, you know, become tribal again, but not just little, you know, sections, but even sort of conceiving ourselves as, as a global tribe. Uh, I mean, these tribes, I think, you know in their communal lifestyle there's something really beautiful there but then they also you know would often see other tribes as kind of non-humans or non-people so now we can go beyond that and we can see that we really are you know one human family one 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 tribe you know on on the earth and i think that 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 would be an important uh... you know kind of realization
1: my guest today is daniel pinchbeck he is featuring the film 2012 Time for Change, which represents a refreshing and optimistic alternative to the apocalyptic doom and gloom, and features leading experts, scientists, and celebrities, including Sting, Ellen Page, David Lynch, Barbara Marks Hubbard, Gilberto Gill, Dean Redan, and many more. There are wonderful things that you can find on Facebook in regard to this if you go to their Facebook site, and also you can connect to them at their own website, which is, I'm going to have you help me with that one, Daniel, 2012 Time for Change.
2: 2012timeforchange.com, time for change.com, and also my website is uh, evolver.net or realitysandwich.com.
1: Wonderful, we'll be right back with Daniel Pinchbeck.
3: A healthy
0: dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. journey into the realm of spirit the source of all things master fear in these tumultuous times and learn ancient ways to abundant love and healing why shamanism now a practical path to authenticity will awaken the unique genius within you host christina pratt challenges you to initiate your innate powers within to gain health well-being and joy through the practices of last mask center for shamanic healing tune in each week to why shamanism now wednesdays at 2 p.m pacific 5 p.m eastern on seventh wave network
4: do you want to know what's really going on these days Each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific time.
3: A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: In Breaking Open the Head, Finchbeck explored shamanism via ceremonies with tribal groups such as the Buiti of Gabon and also explored different types of ceremonies such as the ayahuasca ceremony. He attended the Burning Man Festival in Nevada and looked at the use of psychedelic substances in a desacralized modern context. Through this direct experience and research and philosophically influenced work of anthroposophists. Rudolf Steiner, he became convinced that the shamanic and mystical view of reality had validity, and that the modern world had forfeited an understanding of intuitive aspects of being in its pursuit of rational materialism. Drawing heavily upon these contributions, he created a second book, 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl, examining the prophecy through personal and philosophical approaches and offering hypothesis that humanity is experiencing an accelerated process of global consciousness transformation leading to a new realization of time and space during this period. In 2012, he also examines extrasensory perception and the research of many scientists, along with his own encounters with crop circles, a visit to calendar reform advocate Jose Arguelles, and his direct reception of prophetic material, the voice of Quetzalcoatl. I'd like to uh, recite one of those uh, passages that he received. Soon there will be a great change to your world. The material reality that surrounds you is beginning to crack apart, and with it, all of your illusions. The global capitalist system that is currently devouring your planetary resources will soon self-destruct, leaving man, many of you very bereft. But understand the nature of the paradox. Those who follow my words and open their hearts and their minds, for those who have ears to hear, there is no problem whatsoever. What is false must die, so what is true can be born. Daniel, it is really true that we're seeing a lot of things crumble and die away right now, and it's not so much that we need to focus on the death of these things, it probably is more so that we need to focus on what is the birth or the phoenix rising out of the ashes instead. What do you think? Um,
2: yeah, I mean, um, that's that's exactly what, 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 you know, the film kind of presents, um, um, yeah, I mean, uh, by the way, i was curious about eleven eleven. Where, where did you guys get that from, your radio show?
1: Uh, 11-11 is actually a set of numbers that I've been seeing my whole life. And uh, about five years ago... Uh, as I was going through my own spiritual experience, the entire first issue of the 1111 magazine actually downloaded into my head, word to word, cover to cover, image for image. And I was instructed to create the magazine and put it out there to support people in going through this change of consciousness that's taking place so that they would receive uh, access to information and people such as yourself uh, to be able to uh, handle a lot of the changes that are going to be coming about.
2: Wow, that's pretty intense. Um, yeah, you know, um, according to you know what I understand, December twenty first, two thousand twelve, which is the you know end of the the five thousand one hundred twenty five year uh, long count cycle of, of the Mayan calendar,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, the the, uh, the the exact moment of the uh, equinox is eleven eleven a.m.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And <laughs> if you you add up the date numerologically for Twelve twenty one two thousand twelve. It actually becomes an eleven, which is a master number. And so it seems almost as if there's a real pattern to all of this. There's. It's almost as if the puzzle is coming together in different pieces. Even though we may think things are just random or chaotic, there is kind of an organized structure to the way the universe is working. All of this.
2: Yeah, it could be. But then on the other hand, I always get suspicious because if we look at the past, you know, there always seems to be like You know, our human. Uh, tendency is is to think that, you know, something is going to culminate in a certain way, that it doesn't, like, we we look at all these messianic movements in the past, who had all these expectations, you know, about a certain date or a certain, you know, leader or something, and then then they kind of came to naught, you know, so, so, you know, how do we balance, you know, our our sense that, well, maybe this is going to be this, this, you know, transformative moment, you know, to, to, to to the disappointments that have been, you know, so much a part of human history.
1: Well, I think also so many times we're constantly either looking at the future or the past. And for me, eleven eleven signifies, particularly because when people see it on the clocks, and many people, millions around the world, are starting to see these numbers, uh, whether they're on clocks or other things, it really pulls you in the moment when you see that number because all of a sudden you take notice of it. And I think it is it is now time for us to experience ourselves. And every time we see that eleven eleven, or every time we get that other type of intuitive hit, however it comes for anyone else in their own way of messages, it really is a message back to us to say, are you willing to experience yourself in a greater way right now? And that may have been uh, much of the reason that you experienced your own spiritual crisis. Were you seeking to uh, experience something in a greater way now looking back through all of that? Did you ever think that you would be writing about this kind of material or, or delving into consciousness in this sort of way when you began your career?
2: No, I I really was very suspicious of stuff that, you know, seemed kind of new age or, you know, spiritual. Um, So, um, yeah, no, it was a happy surprise that everything turned out like this.
1: (laughs) It always seems to be that way. Those uh, those (laughs) tragedies always turn out to be beautiful gifts, don't they? When you had your transmissions and, and they came through, because many of them, as I've read through them, they really are very reminiscent of a lot of other sacred words that are written in many of the texts, whether it's the Quran or the, the Sikh Guru Granth or even in Christianity, there are certain truths that came through those and they also come through this writing. And it's, it's very much a knowing that, that is in that writing. Do you feel that sense of knowing? when you're creating uh, or writing any of your books or when are the moments that you feel that?
2: It's um, a good question. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I think that in a sense all art, you know, and all writing is a form of channeling. Uh, you know, whatever you do to get there, like all the research that you do or preparation or sitting in front of the blank screen or, you know, revising and revising you know, certain sentences or whatever, it's all, um, you know, part of the process of, of, you know, reaching this, this point of uh, receptivity you know, so that your consciousness kind of becomes tuned to you know, some, some new level of, of information or, or meaning or something. So um, you know, I don't make such a hard definite uh, you know, kind of, mm, you know, line in between what's channeled and, and what's not channeled. I mean, Arthur C. Clarke's Childhood Den to me is almost like a channeled book, you know. I mean, uh, a, a, a lot of a lot of you know literature that I love se- seems to be, you know, kind of on the on the borderline. You know, I mean Rilke's poems or something. You know, I think that we're all connected to spirit. You know, and spirits. You know, and and guardians and and, and you know demons and so on. And um, you know, it, 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 it's it's really you know becoming uh, you know like a like a um, uh, you know be resting in our own kind of essence. You know, so that we can allow this stuff to, to, to come through us as um, you know, part, part of the process of, of being an artist or, or a visionary.
1: I agree. And I've, I've often wondered that if we would all get more into our creative aspect and allow that force to come through us, rather than necessarily focusing on other people out there or all the issues that are going out there, might we be more inspired with the actual solutions? Might, might we allow that channeling or that internal inspiration to come forward and really solve a lot of our problems that are going on, like the water issue and the global warming issue and how to feed so many people and, and all of these different things that seem to be plaguing us right now? It's almost as if some part of the population is so focused on the problems that we're continuing the problems rather than uh, allowing us, like you say in the film, to really go inside and and do our own work so that we can come up with the solutions and the creativity.
2: Well, I mean, I I guess the way I see, you know, my my archetype of Quetzalcoatl is kind of the meeting of, of the kind of rational, technical consciousness that the West has developed, you know, with this kind of intuitive, visionary... Uh, knowledge of, of, Eastern and Indigenous cultures. So I don't think it's an either or thing. I think that it all has to come together. And, um, you know, we, we can only make these solutions happen in, in collaboration with, with other people. Uh, and so therefore we first have to kind of get enough people in, in the same frame of understanding and able to kind of work together and lay down their kind of ego and their, you know, desire, you know, maybe for, um you know their own organization and their own project to, to be the one um so yeah i mean that 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 seems to be you know uh, but 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 uh you know but but then also like I think that you know i mean a lot of people who work on these more like material problems, whether they go and try to be peacekeepers in Palestine or they help you know with water in in Africa or something i mean there's coming that's coming out of a of a, of a deep spiritual yearning, you know, out of kind of love and compassion. And, um, and, and a lot of times when people are just engaged in their own kind of self-seeking spiritual quest, it ends up becoming a little bit, you know, kind of narcissistic. You know, like the, the never-ending, you know, kind of healing that goes on in the New Age world, I think becomes kind of like a narcissistic trip. You know, so I, I think it's, you know, it, 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 we have to find the juncture between the the self-healing and the the work to heal the collective.
1: And you bring up a really valid point because that does seem to be a a large tendency. There is a, a full focus on the narcissistic side of spirituality and how we do sometimes engage too much into that or how we're doing it for the purposes of just the self rather than the emergence of the self. So that's a, a very strong point to consider as we're going through our own personal work, is why are we doing this, and are we really doing it for the fullness of heart and the fullness of change, or are we doing it for some other purposes in mind?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, um, um, you know, I think, I think you know, there, I mean, Alan Watts, talking about psychedelics particularly, you know, in the 60s said, you know, once you get the message, you know, hang up the receiver. You know, I mean, um, you know, healing, I think, really means wholeness, and, and that's always a journey rather than a destination. So when people get too caught up on their own, you know, healing process, there, there never is going to be a, an end to that or a finish to that. You know, so, so, and I think part of that, that healing comes from, you know, um, spreading, spreading, you know, your, your, your ability to, to bring about change to, to other
1: people. Yes, becoming a sacred activist or a social activist or putting yourself out there and becoming part of everything that's going on. My guest today is Daniel Pinchbeck, and he has written uh, several books that have created wonderful change for people. One of those is Breaking Open the Head, in which he explores shamanism and ceremonies with various tribal groups. The second book is 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl, where he examines the prophecy through personal and philosophical approaches... And he offers these hypotheses uh, in regard to humanity and how we are experiencing an accelerated process of global consciousness. This has now resulted in a wonderful new film, called 2012 time for change this film features daniel Pinchback in his journey as well as other leading voices such as sting david lynch ellen page and barbara marx hubbard i invite you to connect with him at his website 2012 time for change or you can also look him up on facebook uh, and find out more about this wonderful film join us in just a few minutes and we'll have our last segment with daniel Pinchback.
3: A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444.
4: Voice America Sports Channel.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Welcome back. My guest today is Daniel Pinchbeck. He is the author of a couple of books that you may or may not be familiar with, and if you're not, please go out and get them and you can read them. One is Breaking Open the Head, and the second one is 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl. And in both of those, you're going to discover some amazing things about shamanism, about prophecy, about uh, where humanity is going in the process of global consciousness, some really interesting conversations. He has now released a wonderful new film, which is entitled 2012, Time for Change. In addition, you can connect to his new social media platform, which is called Evolver.net, a wonderful area for groups and individuals to join to find out more information about the various topics of of consciousness and to access information in regard to what your peers are speaking about, what other organized groups are doing, and how they're working and pioneering uh, different changes within the world. Daniel, what do you think is probably the most significant question question to ask at this time for people in regard to how they can get involved uh, in in supporting our world change?
2: Uh, well, I, I think you know people have to um, look into what their what their intention is. Uh, I mean, intention for native cultures like the Maya is a very important thing. Uh, in fact, like. Like according to the, 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 the Mayan calendar, which has this 260 day count, so you have a sign depending on, on when you're born, and that 260 days is supposed to kind of reveal your, your underlying intention of kind of coming into the world. Well, we don't really have the Mayan calendar. I mean, we can look at it, but it's an artifact of a different civilization. However, I think that's really the, the crucial question. And, um, you know, it's just, um, yeah, like what, what is your intention for the work that you do? Are you simply trying to you know, amass resources for your own, you know, personal satisfaction, or or your family, or and, and even that needs to be looked at in, in a bigger picture. I mean, I have a daughter who I love dearly, uh, and and I feel that you know the work that I'm trying to do is for her. Uh, you know, if, if if you know if I can't help, you know, bring about some type of change in, in in the in the behavior patterns of of you know myself and others, then you know there's not going to be. Many animals left around when, when she's an adult, and then we have a species extinction crisis where 25% of all species could be extinct in, in 30 years, and the oceans are 90% fished out of large fish, and so on. So um, and, and not only that, like that, those crises could actually lead to our, our own species not, not surviving very far into the future. I mean, you have biologists like uh, uh, James Lovelock who argues that, you know, if you look at all these, these materialists, uh, indicators, you know, there's only going to be 150 million people uh, alive at the end of the century, and so you know, now is really a crucial time, kind of, kind of a crucible, where you know, we we have to look at look at all these things that are happening in the world and, and try to avert these these catastrophes as, as best we can. Uh, I mean, you know, if we look at like the polar ice caps, you know, the ice cap, the glaciers melting and the Himalayas and everywhere else on the planet, and how that water, you know, is is the source of life for, you know, hundreds of millions of people and so on. I mean, you know, and if those people can't find water, they're going to, you know, be be desperate. I mean, all these things we can see that we're reaching this this kind of cul-de-sac of our present ways. And, um, you know, but but there is the potential for developing a, a new culture that's based on these kind of regenerative design principles, uh, but but that shift in in the, you know first our, our awareness that it, that it's possible to make these changes and then and then bringing them out about on 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 the level of our global civilization you know it it is going to have to happen you know pretty quickly
1: well and it's it's really important for each person to realize that they're one uh, voice, their their one body does make a difference because it is thr- by every person coming to that realization that will make a collective change. You have a quote: uh, instead of a time of cynicism and destruction, 2012 could be an epoch where people make a quantum leap in consciousness, and that it's your hope that the film will inspire grassroots movement. And I think that's a direction that we are moving. There seem to be little grassroots movements that are popping up everywhere that are trying to create that change. And maybe that is reflective of many of the other cultures that are uh, less developed in the way that they work together. But it does require each individual person at least stepping forth and finding something that breaks their heart enough to to engage with. Yeah,
2: I mean, you know, I think that it's really amazing how powerful. Uh, individual people are. Uh, and if you look at the history of how things change, you know, um, it only takes, you know, I can look at, you know, one person like Gandhi can influence the destiny of a whole, you know, continent. Um, just for, you know, just having a little bit of inspiration and courage. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, you know, we, we really don't even know what, what's possible for us yet, you know, um, as a species, and that's very exciting, you know, and I, and, 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 you know, so I, I do have a lot of, Hope and, and optimism of, of where you know we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna get to, um, and and uh, it's just that this is this crucial, you know, uh, kind of awakening time.
1: And I agree. I have a lot of hope as well, and I think that sometimes we have to get to these places that feel very hard and very churning and tragic before we'll get the wake up call to say okay now it's time for me to step up and be a part of of the change or now it's time for me to step up and die to who i've been so that i can be born to who i'm possibly able to be and really create something phenomenal i have to applaud you on the work that you're doing and creating such things as Evolver.net and also putting out this information into the world so that people can access a greater understanding of consciousness and where their place is in the world. Is there anything that you'd like to say, Daniel, before you leave us today?
2: Uh, sure, sure. Very quickly, I mean, I also have a new book coming out called Notes from the Edge Times, which I think is a very good kind of introduction to all the thinking that we're discussing. Uh, in that book and in my last book, 2012, the military of I also look into the question of maybe extraterrestrials, um, the idea that uh, potentially there's a kind of benevolent galactic federation that's seeking to communicate with us through phenomena like the crop circles in England and other phenomena in the sky that's becoming more and more uh, commonplace. So that may also be a piece of this, this next level of, of our development is that we you know, are, are going to come into contact with... Uh, other forms of uh, galactic intelligence that, are, that have developed in benevolent ways.
1: Absolutely, and that is a very important conversation. I'm thrilled that you're writing a book about that. Many people may not realize that the United Nations is actually putting together a task force and, and assigning a lead person to handle negotiations and discussions and interactions with uh, beings from other planets, uh, other universes that uh, we do have contact with and that do exist. We're not the only ones here. So it's, it's wonderful that we're engaging in some of those conversations now. Thank you so much, Daniel, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. Again, you can connect with him at Evolver.net, also 2012 Time for Change, and uh, you can look him up on Facebook and find out more. Also, go to uh, some of the videos on the Internet in regard to the new movie, 2012 Time for Change. You'll find some interesting things. I am Simran Singh. Next week, my guest is is Dr. Vijay Shankar and we're going to be discussing Evolution of Mind a really exciting book going even deeper into this conversation of consciousness I'm Simran Singh and until next week be well